You are listening to Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. My name is Michelle Macklem, and you can find my program and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. I'm also a Twitter bird, and you can find me at Twitter at Michelle Macaloon one. We have the great joy of talking to a first time author today. And I have to tell you, this book has, of all the books I've read this year, and I think I'm up to 80 at this point, this book has rocked me back like no other book I have read this year. The reason why it talks about purgatory in many ways, it makes you reflect on your own life. It's, it's actually an incredible book for a first-time author, and our first-time author is Michael Norton. He's a former newspaper reporter and public relations specialist. After abandoning the Catholic faith at 18, he spent almost 40 years finding his way back. He and his wife, Karen, live in Old Mission, Michigan, and are avid hikers. I would expect nothing less. And he has written A Hiker's Guide to Purgatory by Ignatius Press. Michael Norton, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here, Michelle, and thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. This book is so unique, but I think because we are talking to a non-Christian audience, maybe a non-Catholic audience, we need to first explain what is purgatory? How do you understand purgatory? Well, that's an Incredibly interesting question. It really comes down to the marrow of why I wrote the book in this way. We actually have seen that there, there are really sort of two elements to the purgatory story, uh, because honestly, scripture does not give us more than a few little clues and hints. The magisterium, the catechism also gives us small hints. We talk about two different words. You know, one is purification and the other punishment. And for a long time in the recent centuries, we've thought a lot more about the punishment angle. Uh, but if we take a look, we see that there's, a, there's this thread of uh, a different kind of meaning that goes really back from the very beginnings of talk about purgatory, back to Dante, for instance, and right up to uh, Pope Benedict himself, that there is a, a sense of a different angle to looking at purgatory, more as a journey, more as a process of purification, uh, where the soul is made ready for uh, for heaven and for the beatific vision. And so that was, uh, that was kind of news to me. And once I began thinking about it, this novel began to kind of take shape in my head. Purgatory is actually on the Catholic mind in the month of November, because it is the month of holy souls. It is the month we pray for the dead. We pray for our deceased. We pray for all those who have gone to heaven saints and saints named and unnamed in the church. One of the things that your book does is it brings out sort of a certain unexpected joy in purgatory, which that's very interesting because in the magisterium, we've always, and I mean, Dante's Inferno, right? Purgatory, the seven circles of hell, you know, all of that. But we've always thought of purgatory as a time that is arduous, that is, is horrible. But you write this novel in a very realistic fashion, but it is also not without joy. That, that's certainly true. Uh, there's certainly suffering. There's certainly, arduous is a good word. It's certainly arduous in, in purgatory. 
and again, I'm not the first person to have, to have, to have said this, has more to do with the fact that now you know you're, you're on your way to heaven and you are simply gripped by a, an excitement, an eagerness, but that is at, is at the same time frustrated by the things you've not let go of that you're carrying with you. You know, the magisterium talks about our attachment to earthly things that we've not rid ourselves of yet. And so, uh, in my book, my main character is actually going through the process of leaving those things behind, things that that are we might be glad to get behind, and sometimes things that we uh, we keep holding onto and you know are really unable to uh, rid ourselves of. Your story opens with a 77 year old man. His character is named Dan. We presume he has died. We don't know about his death. He quickly runs into an angel. It, he seems kind of slow to understand that he's in purgatory. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, again, I won't give too much away, but, you know, hopefully everyone should know that the ending, you know, writes itself. <laughs> Ultimately, he's, uh, you know, he, he is able to emerge from purgatory. But uh, Dan is, um, I, he's kind of an everyman to me. At least he's he's reacting the way that I would react, and I think at first he knows that he's died and knows fairly soon that he's in purgatory. He's feeling fairly cocky uh, because he knows that well he's not going to hell and he's on his way to heaven, and so he he begins to think that yeah he must be a pretty good guy because he's surrounded by all this beauty and it's wonderful and it's a it's a lovely. But what he discovers. Fairly quickly, uh, because of a very uh, devastating encounter with someone from his own past, that uh, this is not going to be easy. He's going to have to confront a lot of things about himself uh, and things that still need to be changed uh, before he's ready to to be in heaven. And so that that begins the the kind of the, the difficult part of his journey. There are moments of of trial, of testing but also um, times of reconciliation and of relief and ultimately of joy. The novel has certain messages to it. And one of the toughest messages in your novel, I think, is one of the toughest messages in Christianity. Our commandments are to love God and love neighbor. But it's not just enough to do good and to be good. We are so connected to others. We must show good. We must show people what good looks like, how to be good to other people, too. We are immersed in a community, and we are responsible for every person in that community. And your book shows this message, and it is one of the tough, tough messages of Christianity. Christianity is not easy, and Jesus was never meant to be warm and cuddly. He was demanding, and it demands for us to be the best of ourselves to everyone else. And you show that in this novel. Thank you for noticing that. That, that was a hard one for me. But again, it's one of the big messages, I think, of the whole idea of, of readying ourselves for heaven is we set the bar often too low for ourselves as Christians. It, it, we start to talk about and think about avoiding punishment. Uh, but that's like saying uh, the way to learn how to fly an airplane is to learn how to crash. I mean, it's a good start, but it deprives you of really the main idea of flying an airplane, which is to fly. And that's, you know, often I think we we tend to 
neglect and to forget that we're not just here to scrape by with the bare minimum. We're here to learn to become saints, uh, to take our place as God's sons and daughters. And that's a huge adventure. And that's why I wanted to write this as an adventure story, because learning it is it itself an adventure. And that involves learning how to how to live out charity, how to live out hope, how to live out faith in ways that are not boring, that are not the bare minimum that we can uh, arrive at to kind of sneak in uh, into heaven at, you know, by the skin of our teeth, but ways to learn actually to acquire and step into the dignity that God has prepared for us. Absolutely. I think what you just said is is key, that for us to engage our lives as sense is to, it's about everybody around us, but it's also what makes us more human. It what brings out the best of our humanity. And anything less than mm-hmm. that does not make us fully human. And what I saw as Dan, as he traverses purgatory, he becomes human. He becomes a better man. He becomes yes. more perfect. He becomes more saint-like. And you also showed figures that were saint that had reached some kind of sainthood on this side of the light, too, of that where purgatory was shortened. It was easier. There were groups of people running. You know, they were able to run to heaven. Where, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us have to slog to heaven because we don't live our full potential as saints here on this side of the light. And also there are people who get stuck. Yeah, they can't move on because they can't let go of those things that that are still kind of hanging over them from their time on earth. So I wanted to show all three of those. And because I was kind of flummoxed by the idea of, okay, why should we be praying for the souls in purgatory? And one of those is that people get stuck. They don't want to let go. They don't want to finish that process of transformation that's waiting for them. The figure of Rose was really interesting because Rose wants heaven on her terms. She doesn't. And ultimately, the reason why we don't become saints is because we don't trust God. We don't trust him. We may love him. We may worship him. But in the end, we want to keep control. We don't trust him enough to truly give him our lives. And Rose doesn't trust him enough. She wants to define heaven in her own way. And he says, you know what? Whoa, girl, back up. You've got to, you have to trust me first. And when you begin trusting me, when you truly trust me and give me the control, when you freely choose to let me be in charge, then guess what? You, you're on the way to sainthood. You're on the way to heaven. And I thought that was such a poignant moment. Well, yeah. Again, I'm I'm delighted that you noticed that because I wanted Rose to be a, a sympathetic figure, but in, in essence, she's really in some way repeating the error, which is you know when the when the serpent is tempting her, basically is saying you shouldn't trust God. You know he you have no idea you know what what he really wants. You can be God yourself. You know Rose, in a very small way, in a very human, in, a, in really a very touching way, is still trying to hold on to. I want paradise on my terms. It's, that's a great storyline. This was a really poignant story for me. I have a father 
who I have had had a conflictual relationship with. He passed on without any resolution. And it sort of made me sort of think some different things about that. And, you know, it also gives me great hope that maybe in purgatory, we can again, see each other clearly and see each other eye to eye. And I hope that, you know, not just with my father, but with other people in my life where there's been conflictual relationships and maybe also see what I did right too, because I think purgatory is much about as seeing what you did right is what you did wrong too. Yes. It's about seeing clearly, perhaps for the first time, both the good and the bad. I think you're absolutely right. There is a sense in which, uh, you know, Pope Benedict said um, not too many years before his retirement that purgatory is is God's way of putting the pieces back together, uh, doing those repairs on our lives that that we seem to be unable to repair for ourselves. I think that's a very true thing. One of the things as I get older is that I, I look back at some of the things that I wish I could make reparation for. The, but the people are gone now. That There is no opportunity in this life to apologize or to, to say, boy, I'm really grateful to you for all the help you gave me back then that I, that I didn't say thank you for then. Yeah, I'm hoping that there is a place where we we can fix those things with God's help. I hope so, too. I think, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're not a Catholic listening to this, sh- this, you're thinking, what in the heck is purgatory? Do Is it something I have to go through? I think one of the things that we don't understand as human beings is our incredible freedom to accept and trust God. And it's the incredible freedom to reject God and to say, non-servium, I will not serve. You and that's what Satan did. He said, I will not serve, non servium. So right. we have this incredible mm-hmm. freedom to accept God, to trust God. We have this incredible freedom to reject God. And in the end, we have an incredible responsibility for either of those decisions because God loved us so much. He trusted us so much for us to make our own decisions. And to me, I the, the radical freedom of the human being is why I keep going back and back to the Catholic Church because they define that so well. They really do. That really, ultimately, the choice is ours. God wants us to love him, but he's not going to force himself upon us. We have to choose this. I think your novel shows, it's also a novel of choice, of uh, it's uh, not just a novel of forgiveness. Dan, your principal figure, saying, I'm choosing this now. This is what I choose. And there's incredible responsibility in that choice and no one else telling you what to do, that you have to choose it yourself. Right. And that's the flip side of freedom. <laughs> it involves the responsibility to choose rightly. And fortunately, God also gives us so many opportunities to do it over again, or at least to come to him for absolution. You're right. There is forgiveness. There is in the the sacrament of confession. There is absolutely forgiveness in the Eucharist. There's absolutely, we have moments of heaven here on earth and they're in the church in the sacraments. They're in our relationships that go well. They're in the beauty 
and the splendor of this great earth. And these are just the mere glimpses Mm -hmm. of heaven. I have to ask you, how much did Dante's Inferno influence this book? Not so much the Inferno, but Gatorio, which is, you know, again, it gets kind of passed over because the Inferno has got all the really cool, gory stuff. Sure, but, you know, sure, purgatory. That right. influenced me a great Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, the thing about the, the purgatorial, for instance, is it, there's a waiting line there. I mean, people are actually waiting, eager to get into purgatory because it's, it's you know, the thing you, it's the way to heaven. He sees it as you're climbing this mountain. And so that was certainly inspiration to me. And, uh, Dorothy Sayers, the mystery writer, uh, who is not a Catholic, was uh, I think an Anglican, um, actually wrote one of the better early 20th century uh, translations of of Dante's Divine Comedy, including a really wonderful essay on the Purgatorio, which was a big inspiration to me. But so were um, some of the church mystics, St. Catherine of Genoa. Julian of Norwich uh, were were folks who were looking at this fairly early on, and I was uh, I was encouraged a lot by reading what they had to say about it. It's an excellent idea. When did you decide to write this book? <laughs> um, it had been kind of percolating, honestly. Uh, again, I, I when I was at work, I I often would take long walks through the neighborhoods near my workplace. And it was during one of those walks that I, I had this opening scene of someone standing before this great cliff of grass in hiking clothes. And, and, and I wanted to know what was on the other side of that huge hill. So it began that way because I thought, that that must be purgatory. I don't know why I thought that. But. What made you come back to the church after 40 years? Well, I have to say that, again, it was a return to the church, but it wasn't a return to God. I, I had actually, like Dan, kind of made my journey through a number of other Christian uh, groups before I finally said, I, and ultimately, each one of those was very good, particularly at some sort, but some aspect of Christianity. But the fullness of truth, if you're really honest with yourself, you cannot get away from the Catholic Church. And and ultimately, it took me quite a long time and some some missteps to make my way back. But it uh, it was ultimately the growth of an of a uh, a strong determination, um, stronger than a feeling. Like Peter said to our Lord, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That there was one place for them, and that was it. And so that's that's what happened. Took a while. Do you think you have another book in you? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, we'll see. But I think I'm kind of a one-trick pony. Well, this was a good trick then. I think you did. Re- I think you did really well. <laughs> so, when did you write the book? When was it was written earlier this year? Correct. Um, no, actually, it was written a couple of years ago because of COVID and and some other things. It took a while to have it published, but I had actually written it, uh, it was several years ago. It took me about a year to finish it, even though it's quite short. You can kind of tell there's a lot in it that isn't actually explicitly spoken. So I was doing a lot of meditating on on the theme I was going through. And I was kind of just sitting down and doing an hour a day in front of the computer and writing. So it, it, it was not a fast uh, piece of work. It is an absolutely beautiful book. 
And I would recommend it. It's one of the, I would recommend it for kind of all ages, really from middle teen all the way up to 77 years old and beyond. But it is a good book. It would be, yeah, it would be a beautiful book for a Christmas gift, upcoming Christmas gift. And it's one that is to be read and truly savored because it really, it helps you think about your life and think about your relationship with God and with other people in a very tactile and very everyday way told through a very everyday and normal and average life. So I really, really congratulate you, Michael Norton. Well, thank you, Michelle. And I'm just delighted with how things have gone here. I, I wrote this to help people, to, to help them avoid worrying so much but and to give hope. Uh, to folks. So hopefully that uh, that's happening now. And, and, you know, your, your remarks help have kind of cement that idea. So thank you. Well, thank you. You helped me and that I, and it really does mean a lot to me. We've been speaking with Michael Norton, who is the author of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Purgatory published by Ignatius Press. And you have been listening to Michelle McAloon on Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. And you can find my program and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. And you can find me at Michelle McAloon1 on Twitter. God bless. Thank you.